0: This podcast is for the curious and for those seeking honest conversations about life and ministry It's for those fully aware that we are in a moment in history that demands our attention and our intentionality the world is about to turn and this podcast is for those who seek to be co-conspirators with the Holy Spirit those who wish to affect the turn toward the one who offers life and life abundance in this world, in our weary world. It's for those that are committed to God's invitation to us as church together, as people in mission, responding to the demands of the gospel. Well, welcome everyone to yet another fantastic episode discussing what it looks like for us to be complicit in the world about to turn, um, turn toward God, turn toward what is right, what is good, what is holy and gracious and um, for us, for this moment. Today, I am super excited to have two very special guests, both friends of mine that I truly respect, not only as leaders in the church, but as human beings. And today we have the pleasure of having Reverend Dr. Carmelo Santos with us and Deacon Julie Stecker. So excited to have them with us. And so I've asked them to consider sharing a bit of their story. And Most of this um, podcast or most of the audience of the podcast is our Synod. And I think that um, we sometimes take for granted or think that we know who it is that we are walking with in ministry. And sometimes we realize We just know a snippet. And so I've asked Deacon Julie and Pastor Carmelo to share a bit of their faith story and faith journey. And um, I won't forget to say who I am. I am Bishop Layla Ortiz, and I am really happy to be here and to just initiate these conversations, facilitate these conversations. I get the privilege and honor of serving as the Bishop of the Metropolitan Washington, D.C. Synod. And in that, I get to have some really helpful conversations, honest conversations for the sake of life and ministry. And today will be no different. And so thank you for joining me, um, those of you who are listening and those who are our guests today. And I'd like to invite Deacon Julie to share a bit of her faith story, share a bit of what some may know and many won't know, but will be helpful as we continue our conversation into what it means to live, live out our faith today. Deacon Julie.
1: Thank you so much, Bishop Ortiz. Um, Yeah, hi. I am Deacon Julie Stecker. Um, I serve on the Metro D.C. Synod staff as the assistant to the bishop for youth and family ministry in partnership with the Delaware-Maryland Synod. Um, I've been on the Delaware-Maryland Synod staff for um, almost nine years. July 1st is nine years uh, since I joined the staff, Um, and I've had a couple of roles within the staff. Um, Mostly communications, uh, some administrative things, working with um, a capital campaign several years ago, and then um, over the past few years, uh, getting to the incredible opportunity to steward youth and family ministry, um, which is what brought me into this role in Metro DC, um, which is a really uh, unique and uh, fun and uh, interesting way uh, to live out this, this part of my call. Um, I grew up in the Baltimore area, um, going to a Lutheran congregation, but not really having a sense of what the wider church looked like, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and I uh, discerned a call to youth ministry when I was in high school, Um, Mm -hmm. so I went to um, a Christian college in uh, central Pennsylvania, Messiah College, um, now it's called Messiah University, um, where I really got to experience the faith backgrounds of a an extremely diverse group of folks, um, lots of people who grew up non-denominational, lots of people who grew up um, Mennonite, uh, Brethren in Christ from the Anabaptist tradition, mm-hmm. um, and ju- just a, a broader array of faith backgrounds than I had ever experienced. And as I uh, went through uh, my, my studies there, I I sort of came to this place of like, Oh, am I actually Lutheran? Um, I don't even know if I really know what it means to be Lutheran, even though I have grown up Lutheran. Um, and so, uh, when I graduated college, um, I said, I think that, um, I have a lot of the practical tools for youth ministry, but I want to know a little bit more about this space that I now feel like I can claim, uh, for my own. Um, So I went to seminary in Gettysburg and I, uh, did a program there for youth and young adult ministry. Um, and then ended up working there for my first call in admissions, um, and, um, just really feel like I have, uh, been privileged to have, um, these educational experiences in places with people whose faith was very much like mine and the faith that I grew up with. Um, and people who had very different perspectives, mm-hmm. um, which, which has been a really, I think a really formative piece for me. um, the, uh, my faith journey has, has actually been pretty um, steady throughout my life, um, but uh, the past 18 months, um, I've pretty much been in, uh, like, faith crisis mode, um, not that my... Necessarily was in crisis all the time, but it felt like my life was in a sort of a constant state of crisis. Yeah. Um, I have I have twins who were born on Christmas Day, 2021. Uh, they were born about six weeks early, which isn't wildly early for twins, but uh, still preemies. I mean, one of them was born with a congenital heart defect that we knew about before he was born, but required a little bit of extra attention. So the first few weeks of their lives um, were spent in the hospital a little bit longer for uh, Thomas, who um, was born with a heart condition. Um, And uh, so once Thomas and Harrison were home, of course, uh, you know, being a new parent and then being um, new parents to twins, my uh, husband Matt and I were exhausted and tired and our bodies felt very weird all the time. Um, But uh, Matt uh, got, of progressively and quickly um, pretty pretty ill uh, to the point where on Good Friday, uh, 2022, so just before our twins were about four months old, um, we discovered that he um, had pretty significant and advanced uh, stage four colon cancer um, that required emergency surgery. Um, so, you know, in the middle of trying to, to raise newborns and figure out what life looks like, um, and I had just returned to work at the beginning of April, Um, everything sort of went on hold again. And, um, uh, you know, he was in the hospital for about a month, and then right after he came home from the hospital, um, our son Thomas, it was time for him to have his open-heart surgery, and he was in the hospital for a month. Um, And so it it was just a, a real roller coaster where it felt like the majority of my faith was about surviving, Um, and that I just was constantly asking God, like, (laughs) help me get through this next day, minute, second. Um, and, you know, again, grateful that I had this sort of very strong, uh, faith background to, to rely on, but also felt um, very much in, in the sort of wilderness of my faith, um, the cancer was a was a pretty brutal beast. We had some really tough times, and there were some times where it seemed like there was some hope and some promise. Um, but uh, this past January, um, Matt died, and so um, it's been it's been pretty hard, yeah. um, needless to say. Um, but I just um, you know, and so I've returned to work in these past couple of weeks, and I don't think that it's a coincidence that this return to work and this return to a chance to to be who I am as a human, uh, um, in this different way that's outside of the kind of suffering and pain that my family has experienced, um, has also coincided with this time where I feel like I'm sort of emerging from the feeling like my faith is largely a survival tool, and um, getting a chance getting a chance to actually engage with my faith again and think about uh, where God is calling me, how God is, uh, alongside me in all of this, um, and the ways that I might come alongside others, um, who are dealing with similar things or with not similar things. Um, but just being a part of that community, um, that has really supported me over the past 18 months. Um, so, so yeah, I'm sort of creeping out of the wilderness a bit, out of the survival mode and, um, glad for the opportunity to to talk a little bit about faith in a in a non-survival way today.
0: Yeah, no, Julie, thank you so so much um, for sharing your story and your journey. Um, I really love to hear and maybe even explore more um, what faith looks like as a survival tool. You, you just said that your faith has been a survival tool. Um, I think many of us can resonate with that. Um, if it weren't for our faith, Mm -hmm. how, right, how, how to survive something. So, oh, so many crises, right. That we're navigating that we're trying to, um, live through, um, and not, not fall into despair. Um, Julie, thank you. Honestly, thank you. And we were, we were, um, on the journey with you from a distance and yet very near, and I mean, prayers never ended, and it was it was really really it, even as as bishop, as pastor, as someone who has always been um, connected to the church. Every time we hear these things, it's how how what what words right what words can actually help this situation, and oftentimes we realize that the ministry of presence can potentially do more. Right. Um, not saying yeah. anything whatsoever, um, but just being and grieving together and crying together. And so I, I, I really appreciate um, how strong and how bold and courageous you've been. Um, a new mother, <laughs> a new mother Christmas Day and um, Good Friday, um, engaging uh, news that no one wants to hear. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, we have a really interesting conversation ahead, and I think um, you have um, helped us set the tone. And so, thank you for your honesty and your vulnerability. Um, looking forward thank to you. more conversations in this in this spirit. Um, Reverend Dr. Carmelo Santos um, is a friend of mine for years. I'm someone that I have admired from afar and from near, and. Um, someone like, as, as I respect Julie, someone that I have respected for a very long time. Um, and I'm really glad that he has said yes to be in this conversation with us. And again, I don't want to assume that those of us in our Senate who have experienced um Pastor Carmelo's um, ministry, actually know much of anything about him, right? Sometimes we lead and no one knows. And so I invite you, um, Pastor Carmelo, to share just a bit of your story, of your faith journey, and from there we'll continue the conversation. Pastor Carmelo.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Bishop uh, Ortiz, for those kind words of introduction and for inviting me uh, to to this conversation. And I, I will say a little bit about myself, but first I just want to, uh, just to send a heart to my dear sister, uh, Deacon Julie. Thank you for for your vulnerability uh, to share what you have just shared with us. I think that it is important that people know that, that we are church leaders, that we are human beings and yes. that we go through yes. sometimes the dark night of the soul. And it is not despite of that that we do ministry. But it is precisely because of that, because when it was our turn to Feel like we were falling into the abyss. Uh, we we discovered that there was a force, that there was a grace, that there was a hand that that holds us yes. uh, and does Amen. not let us fall. And uh, and so faith is not it's not something that we do. Uh, faith is a gift and it's like a hook in our hearts from where God holds us. Where we cannot hold ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking about mm-hmm. Saint Paul talking about how we are when we feel that we are the weakest. We're the strongest because it is not. Any longer, our own strength that sustains us, but but the grace of God that holds us, uh, and also faith can be connected. So yes. when we're having a hard time, um, we pray for each other. And so, my dear sister, we, um, also, uh, I, I I send you uh, some of my faith. <laughs> so and then you will send me some of yours when I need it. We we sustain Absolutely. each other. We, we, we hold each other. Yes, and that's why we're there uh, to preaching certain uh, in funerals. That's why we dare to enter into hospital rooms when people are ill and faking death yeah. because because we have been there mm-hmm. and uh, and we're talking about things that we we have experienced. Um, but in any case you did not invite me here to preach. Um, <laughs> <laughs> always <laughs> although, always this is what we
0: although do although I am
2: I I am a preacher without a pulpit. Uh, for almost ten years I served in the Metro D C Synod as a parish pastor. Uh, First, as an associate pastor at uh, St. Mark's uh, Lutheran Church, San Marcos, um, uh, doing work with the whole community, but focusing mostly on the migrant community from Central America and and, and, uh, South America. Mm -hmm. And in that process, I also got involved with some activism uh, for the the rights and dignity of our migrant uh, siblings uh, that led me to marching. Uh, to some people, call it <clears throat> civil disobedience, mm-hmm. but I learned from my elders that it's really obedience to the gospel, not civil disobedience. Amen. Um, and even to testifying uh, before a subcommittee of Congress uh, in favor of uh, migrant youth and children when they were being separated by by our government uh, from their parents. Uh, I also serve as senior pastor of Hope Lutheran Church uh, in Annandale, uh, Virginia where I learn so much from the people, uh, and I really carry them uh, with me, in my heart, wherever I go. Uh, but currently, I am serving the churchwide organization headquartered in Chicago, although I continue to live in the Northern Virginia area. Uh, but my office is in Chicago, and I serve as the director for theological Diversity and Ecumenical and Interreligious Engagement. Um, And basically, I have the privilege of serving in the office of the presiding bishop with a group of people, uh, and we think theologically about the work that the church does. Uh, We try to help make sure that everything that we do as a church is rooted in the gospel, in the living word of God, Mm -hmm. uh, according to to the Lutheran tradition of, of understanding it. Uh, my beginnings were in Puerto Rico. That is where I was born and raised, although my, both my father and my stepfather were in the U.S. Army, so I traveled a lot as a kid um, around the U.S. and the world. Uh, but I, <clears throat> I went back to Puerto Rico for my uh, late elementary school and middle school years, and there I discovered the Lutheran Church. I was always uh, attracted uh, to, to the church. And I searched different churches, and I arrived at the Lutheran Church. And at the same time, in uh, in middle school, we were studying the history of the Reformation. And I became fascinated by that character uh, that was Martin Luther, by his conviction, by his faith, uh, by his audacity. Mm -hmm. And I approached my pastor back then, also named Carmelo, Carmelo Nieves, and asked him about Luther, and uh, he was very... Astute, (laughs) and so he began to feed me books, and he brought me, he took me under his wing, and began to mentor me. And uh, he saw something in me, and began to allow me to preach and to have different leadership positions in the in the church. Um, Eventually, I went to college, uh, and I decided to focus to major in chemistry. Uh, It's one of my loves. And uh, I did finish uh, the degree in chemistry. But I noticed that when I was in the lab, while my classmates were focusing on the equations and the yield of the reactions and all those things, I was, like, staring at the glass, staring at the compounds, and just, just like, seeing the beauty of the work of God's spirit right here in front of me.
0: Give me one and second, And all the Carmelo. time I realized, Carmelo. I'm sorry. We have, to, yeah. we have to pause, and if you can go back, start from the, the beginning of the, not the beginning, but start from um, what you were learning in chemistry, um, because sure. we had a call come in, and it, it disrupted the <laughs> okay. recording. So if you can sure. start from your major, sure. that'd be great. Thank you. Sure. Sorry.
2: Sure. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, I was, I was saying that uh, I went to study chemistry uh, in college. And uh, I love chemistry because it was it was a means to be able to see the beauty of God's creation at work. Mm. And so eventually I realized that the types of questions and things that I was interested in were more theological than, than were scientific. Uh, so that sent me to a seminary in Chicago called the Lutheran School of Theology of Chicago, which at the time, and I think still had a... Center called the Zeigen Center for Religion and Science. Mm. Um, And so I was able to uh, complete my MD there and then also pursue my PhD and complete my PhD. And uh, I was able to work on a dissertation on uh, the neuroscience of religious experiences uh, in dialogue with the theology of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And I was honored to to be able to work with both theologians and, and neuroscientists uh, in my in my dissertation committee, um, and so I taught for a little bit. Also, while I was a pastor, I had the opportunity to teach at Georgetown University and uh, to students a class that I designed called "God and the Brain," mm-hmm. and uh, and now I'm working on, on on a book on that topic, uh, or I'm supposed to be working on that. <laughs> um, so soon, hopefully, it will be out. So that's a little of my story. That's who I am.
0: I appreciate that. Yeah, that's just a little. There's so much more. There's so much more. Um, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for, I mean, just a little hint of what um, your experience was, even as a child and as a middle schooler who was curious and a leader who engaged your curiosity to the point of where your faith was um being formed right at such a young age, and and Deacon Julie working in youth and family ministry, and all of us here at this in this conversation valuing what it looks like and what it means for us to be intentional around forming um, leaders um, that already are leaders today in our children and our youth, and will be. Um, the leaders that we need for the future of our world and our church. And so I thank you for sharing, sharing your story and your journey. And um, I can't wait for the book. I think many people are waiting, waiting with um, con ansias, with great desire, right, to, to, to read your book. Um, one of the reasons that I invited you both to this conversation, um, these, these first six episodes of the podcast have been dedicated to our mission statement, Our sin and mission statement, which is by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we are called to cultivate a bold and boundless love for Jesus and for God's beloved creation. We are called to cultivate. And I wanted to invite both of you because I know that your faith journey, your lived experiences have always been around cultivating, creating, building, um, and seeing possibilities where others may not necessarily recognize them. And I I have shared a blog with the Synod, um, just speaking a bit of what I think might be uh, for us what it means to cultivate. And I use, speaking of Luther, I use one of his quotes from his, um, his explanation of the first commandment. And which is you are to have no other gods. And in that explanation, this this sentence um, popped out to me. It says, creatures are only the hands, channels, and means through which God bestows all blessings. For example, God gives to the mother breasts and milk for her infant or gives grain and all sorts of fruits from the earth for sustenance, things that no creature can produce by itself. And so I was drawn to that text because there's something powerful in us to realize and recognize that there are just some things that are miraculous and powerful, meaningful, um, that create sustenance that we cannot do by ourselves. Um, And what does it mean for us to cultivate not by our own strength, but in community, in, in relationship, in partnership with one another. And you've both done that in very, very powerful and meaningful ways. And uh, so I, I'd like to invite you into the conversation, um, asking how have you seen yourself, what, how do you see your role in your call in cultivating space or cultivating a spirit or cultivating a, a, um, sp- a space or room for a particular need um, that you've been surrounded by, you've been called to in particular. And I, I'd like to invite Car- Carmelo to share just just a bit. Um, and then, Julie, please, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing from you too as to what does it look like for us to cultivate um, in ways or in recognizing that there's nothing that we can produce by ourselves?
2: Sure. Um, that is a, a very apt word, uh, cultivate. Uh, my grandfather was a farmer and I, I am not. <laughs> I'm not a farmer. I don't have a green thumb. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I know is that, you know, to cultivate something literally, like when you are planting seeds and seeing them grow, it's not something that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, it is something that happens. You use the word miraculous, mil- yeah. So it's almost a miracle that it happens. And I think that one of the uh, important uh, emphasis uh, of the Lutheran tradition is to remember that the the, the work of grace, of faith, of of, of spiritual growth, of uh, even holiness in us, is is never our work. Right. It is always a gift uh, of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so, that gift comes to us, as you said in that quote, uh, that begins uh, with the ministry of, the, of preaching. Uh, because it comes to us uh, through the word and the words are like the seeds this is just that parable of you know the planter that goes out and the sower and throws the seeds around so we have received those those seeds uh, in, in our hearts and then we also share those seeds with others through our witness through our ministries uh, etc and so I think that it's a matter of cultivating that seed in us. And what does that mean? Luther has another beautiful image uh, in uh, in his little booklet on the freedom of the Christian. Um, And he uses the image of the blacksmith that puts uh, a piece of iron on the fire. And uh, the image that Luther uses is how the fire transforms the iron into the same color as the fire, and into the same heat that the fire has. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he says that is the way that it works between the believer and Christ. Uh, Christ is like the fire, and we as believers, we enter uh, into Christ. through the Word, and then it is the Word, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, that transforms us, uh, that, that, that does that work in us growth uh, which sometimes involve before growing, sometimes you have to break down some things that stand on the way of growth. So I would say that the first thing, for me at least, that, that is important in cultivating is cultivating an intentional relationship with Christ through the reading of the scriptures, through the careful meditating on the words. We live in a society that we have access to so much information and everything is so fast, deep, and yet, the scriptures require for us to just sit down, sometimes with one line or two lines, always in context, not, not our context, but to let the Word speak to us. And another interesting thing is that when we when we study the scriptures, uh, we see that there's a simplicity in them, um, that sometimes we, we would like the Word to say more, to offer more details, more specifics. And yet, it is precisely designed to force us to use our imagination, to, to be patient, to sit there with the questions, with the contradictions, with with the possible and, uh, and, and and then little by little we begin to listen to the whispers of the Spirit uh, in our hearts, which is that fire that that transforms us. Um, I have more to say, but I'm also curious to hear what you can do to ask.
0: Yeah, I, I before before Julie shares, I think we experienced that yesterday as a staff which Julie's a part of. Um, we always begin our staff meeting um, a, in a pericope study, kind of sharing the the gospel text of the coming upcoming week and usually it take we we have a devotion or pericope of Thirty minutes. <laughs> Yesterday, um, we took the whole entire hour, the entire hour, because the text was so limited. We only had three verses that we had <laughs> so much more to imagine into it, right? Which I think does bring into um, even this conversation around cultivating, because the text was was in, was basically saying, you know, if you welcome the if you welcome the prophet in the name of the prophet, then you will receive the reward of the prophet. But and if you welcome the righteous in the name of the righteous, then you will receive the reward of the righteous. And we were like, well, what's the reward of the prophet? What's the reward of the righteous? And um, looking at how any any address from a prophet. Um, will likely be lifting a mirror to our brokenness and our need for God, which will inevitably bring its reward if we pay attention, right? If we attend to what it is that the prophet is lifting up to us. And I was sharing how in Spanish, when we talk about the righteous, we talk about el justo, right? The one that is just, the one that is um, that cares about justice. And if we welcome that 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 person who represents justice, fights for justice, advocates for justice. Also, we may be confronted with a reality that we don't necessarily want to see. But if we do, and we do, and welcome that word of the just, um, we may um, experience a great reward, which is renewal, transformation, liberation for the sake of the whole. And so, in cultivating there is this um, element of death, right? The seed must die so that new life may come about. And the same is true Mm -hmm. about that which keeps us from the fullness of life, right? And we need to be confronted by the prophet, and we need to be confronted by those who advocate for justice Mm -hmm. so that we may die to what keeps us from the fullness of what God is calling us into. And so... I, I thank you Amen. for bringing Amen. that up. <laughs> it, it was a really mm-hmm. good pericope, um, Julie. So I'm, yeah. yeah, it was a, it took a long one. It was a long one, but it was fruitful. And I'm glad I have the opportunity to share because I don't get to preach on Sunday. So this was my moment. You see, preachers will preach <laughs> no matter what. Um, so Julie, what what are your thoughts um, when it comes to cultivating, when it comes to, you um, practical theology in in real life Mm -hmm. not just in our heads not just in the spiritual world which which we can't there's something about our culture that wants to compartmentalize spirituality and the lived experience Mm -hmm. when we are full human beings that experience both all at the same time Um, but there's this idea that that um, anything that has to do with God is just is a is in the spiritual realm on Sunday for an hour, <laughs> right? And not, yeah. not necessarily yeah. in the spiritual realm of daily living and forming of human beings, right? For the sake of the gospel. Yeah. So, what have you been thinking about? What 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 do you think about cultivating um, for the sake of life itself?
1: Yeah, um, so I'm also not a person who grows things. Um, I uh, famously uh, killed a bamboo plant when I was in college, um, which everyone says, oh, you can't kill it. Well, um, (laughs) I did. Uh, But I really appreciate the beauty of uh, things that grow and people who grow things. Um, And a a thing that I do know about growing things um, is that it's not as simple as uh, you take the seeds of of the thing that you want to grow and you can simply scatter them anywhere. Um, I mean, we have biblical witness for that. Um, and that, and that they'll automatically grow in the same way. And so when I think of cultivation, I think of it as, uh, like hyper contextual. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, you know, I think that, uh, there's been a lot of focus, um, in recent years, or at least as uh, as a non planter, um, that my awareness has been of, uh, trying to grow like native plants and trees in places um, things that are able to thrive in the environment and then I think the beauty of cultivation is that we all have an environment we all have a neighborhood or a community or a space that we know really well we know the places where people gather we know the history of that neighborhood you know I know that in my neighborhood that there's a history been a history of um, blue collar working. Um, we're ne- we're near the uh, uh, places where there was a lot of industrial work happening, um, and that makes it different from places where there was a lot of agricultural work happening. Mm. Um, so knowing sort of the history of where the people have come from, um, knowing the challenges that people face in this particular area, and so I think that uh, for each of us, our job in cultivating is not to try and figure out. Uh, you know, what are all of the the issues in the world that need addressing, um, but what are the issues in this place that I know, in this place where um, there are people I trust and hopefully people who trust me uh, that I can nurture um, in this space rather than trying to have some sort of like one-size-fits-all mm-hmm. uh, thing for everyone, which which doesn't really do anything for anyone. So it means like really digging into the soil that we're already familiar with um, rather than trying to figure out, you know, what's the soil look like over here, um, w- what can grow and thrive here, but saying, I actually, I actually know some things about this place where I am, mm. and, and I have something to offer as far as how God is engaging with us here and what God might be calling us to do for the sake of those who are right next to us.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's really helpful. I think we do try to overcomplicate things and we try to implement what's working in one space into our spaces without really considering the context or what's happening Mm -hmm. in that space that may need to be altered, right? We need to alter um, what it is that's working Mm -hmm. in other spaces so that it's relevant in the spaces that we're in and so that we can be heard, right? So for instance, Um, As a person of color, I know that I can have a particular conversation, um, not even a person of color, as a Puerto Rican, right? I can have a particular conversation Mm -hmm. with, with Pastor Carmelo that may not necessarily translate very well with our pastor in Bermuda, right? Because it's a different context. It's a different space. And while I can share the... The, the the essential pieces of what I'm trying to communicate for the sake of justice, for the sake of of accompaniment, for the sake of actually being um, God's hands and feet in the world in, in this moment, um, that conversation may be different in where we are, and it would, it would be lost, right? My conversation that I right. would normally have with Carmelo might be lost on, on Pastor David and vice versa, because we're not in the same space, and so how do we cultivate um, within our spaces in ways that can be and need to be prophetic, right? Need to need sure. to disrupt, right? Um, in ways that we can actually be heard in that context, heard and potentially understood, knowing always that it's not it's not our work that we get to co participate in the work of the Holy Spirit, and um, just to be frank, so that we don't come into spaces bullying or trying to bully people into a different worldview. It it doesn't help anyone, right? But to actually build relationship for the sake of building trust, for the sake of being heard, for the sake of life itself, right? I think both of you... Oh, yeah,
1: please. Go ahead. Well, I mean, because I think that sometimes, like, thinking about being, like, hyper-contextual, like, then some might say, well, like, Does that mean that we don't care about anything else that's happening in the world? But I think that it does mean that like coming alongside of people who know their places and saying like, I I trust that you know what's happening in your space. And you know, I sometimes in the church we overuse the word accompaniment, Mm -hmm. but I think it's really real that saying like, no, I I trust that, you know, what's best here. Um, And so if, if there are ways that I can support that, I'm not going to assume that I that what's worked in my space is something that I know will work in yours and we right. can work together, but like that you're the person who knows your space because you've been doing that cultivating there, um, which I think helps us honor one another rather than just trying to assimilate everyone. Right. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, there, there is the gift of gleaning, right? We can glean from the gifts um, and what's working in other spaces and then you, um, create the space, create what we need in the context in which we're called to, right? I think that one. you've both brought up the parable of the sower, um, and I've always found that parable to be really interesting because the sower isn't particular in planting the seed. <laughs> the sower literally throws the seed, and I heard a sermon actually by my predecessor, Dick Graham, and he talked about the sower being reckless in, in, his, so in his sowing of the seeds um, in a way that wherever it lands, wherever it lands that it might take fruit, praise God, if it doesn't take fruit, okay, but I'm going to throw the seed everywhere and anywhere and the, the ground will determine, right, the foundation, the space will determine whether or not to receive that seed and um, help it grow. Which, again, speaks to the need. And, and I'd like for us to think about this together. I mean, your ministry around um, um, youth and family ministry, Deacon Julie, and your ministry around ecumenical conversations, um, Pastor Carmelo. I'm wondering how we talk about the things that we, when we're, when we're called to cultivate, the things that we're called to die to for the sake of the fruit um, to come alive in ways that give us life um, what what does that look like Can, if there are any experiences or any insights you might have of uh, or stories that you might have of some things that just had to go away had to end for the sake of newness to be have space to come alive is that a fair question is that am I being clear sure. I, yeah any thoughts sure. yeah pastor Carmelo sure.
2: yeah no I, uh, but I think the answer is going to be really, really difficult uh, to hear and to, and to accept. Um, we, we uh, in the, uh, m- many of us, not everybody, but many of us in the U.S., uh, we live in settings where we have, uh, if I want light, I just walk to the wall and, and, and turn on the switch yeah. or cut my hands if I have one of those fancy lamps, <laughs> you know, or, or, or whatever. Um, if I want something to eat, I put it in the microwave. Um, if I want to plant something, then I put the seed. So I am in charge, yeah. right? I, I am, I, I am in control. And um, by definition, my relationship with God cannot be one where I am in control. God mm-hmm. is in control. Uh, and so, first of all, I am the recipient of God's work yeah. of cultivating in me the word. I am. Uh, the recipients of God's forgiveness. And of course, I can only be forgiven if I'm a sinner. Otherwise, I don't need forgiveness. Right. Uh, and that is so hard for us uh, to see ourselves as in need of help, of, of God's grace, of forgiveness, uh, and letting God be God. Mm. And I think that that is one of the things that that we need to, to cultivate, uh, particularly those of us that have accepted a call to to ministry, but also those that are trying to address some of the big uh, challenges that we have uh, in, in our world uh, from a faith perspective. Mm-hmm. Because I think that otherwise we will become overwhelmed and burned out. Um, or we will become so egocentric that we think that my solution is the right solution. And the only problem is that nobody else is doing what I'm saying. But if everybody else says what I say, then right. everything will be fine. Right. And that is how colonization happened. That is how uh, so many evils happened. It was not people trying to be evil, it was sometimes people that thought that they were doing something good right. for others. So, humility, I think, is really Important uh, to cultivate interesting humidity from humus, right? And the, the soil we are uh, made from. Hadama, uh, the Hebrew work for for topsoil. Uh, we are the creatures that are made of soil. We're dependent on on, on soil. Uh, so I would say that I would say we need to cultivate that attitude of of, of of I don't want to use the word dependent because that can be bad in other settings. But uh, of 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 remembering that I am not the savior, uh, Christ is the savior. I am not the spirit, the Holy Spirit is, the, and I have a part to do, uh, but it is really the work of God through me, uh, and sometimes despite of me. Yeah. Uh, and so I would say that that is that is an important an important aspect. I have another one uh, to add, but I don't know if you want to respond to this before I move on to the next one. No, this
0: is helpful. Please go on.
2: So I think that um, there are also things that we are cultivating inadvertently and that we need to, to, to maybe do like an inventory about what things are we cultivating in our minds and in our hearts without noticing it. So um, one of the things that we as a church are trying to address is the issue of racism or the issue of white supremacy. How does white supremacy shows up yes. in our institutions? The white supremacy is not just the Ku Klux Klan. White yeah. supremacy is simply the supremacy of whiteness. It's the understanding, uh, almost without even saying it, that white ways of doing things, Eurocentric ways of doing things, are simply better and superior and so we are right doing ways. a kindness to the world yeah. exactly we're just doing a kindness to the world by teaching them to be more like this because yeah. this is the way things are you know and so what are the things in our uh for those of us that are beacons or pastors or church leaders what are the things in the walls of our churches for example that are cultivating that uh, white supremacy or, or or racist attitudes. What are the pictures of Jesus that we have? What does Jesus look like? Because uh, it's interesting. That it's beautiful that every culture can um, create art of Jesus based on their own culture. Yeah. But the problem is when we lift up one of those cultures and we say, No, 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 this is what Jesus actually looked like. And when he returns, this is what his face is going to look like. They're like, Whoa, whoa! Uh, no, it, it, it's not. Um, and, and so what, what are we cultivating? Uh, also, I, I remember my father uh, was not a Lutheran. He was a St. Pentecostal. You would appreciate this, uh, Bishop Leila. Yeah. And um, there were two lessons that I learned from him uh, around this question of cultivating. One, when I was a kid, um, I was praying, and I, I was, I was taught that you can pray anywhere. Uh, and I still think that, you know, when I'm sitting, when I'm laying down, and so I was just laying on my back praying. And my dad looked at me and he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm praying. And he said, when you pray, you should kneel down so that you remember who you're talking to. Mm. And those those physical gestures, uh, uh, I mean, I still pray on my back and am sitting and, and kneeling down. Yeah. But but what do we cultivate with our body posture, uh, with our uh, when we are praying, when we are uh, worshiping? Uh, the second thing that my father said to me was uh, shortly before he died. Uh, He died a long, painful uh, death, unfortunately, uh, with uh, pancreatitis. And uh, right before he went into surgery, uh, we had a conversation, and and, and he asked me to pray for him. And so I did. I I prayed for him. And when I said amen, he looked at me. He said, you forgot the most important part. And I asked him, what is that? And he said, thy will be done, not Mm. mine. And, uh, and I think that, again, that goes back to my first point of cultivating uh, that it is God's will that we're trying to, uh, to, to follow. It is God's work. There's no way we can do any of this on our own, but God, God can. Uh, you know, I mean, God is doing something. I don't know what it is, and I don't understand why God is doing it this way. I, I want to do it this way, but I'm not God. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and there's the power and liberation in acknowledging that, that, that it is God. That we need to be careful that we don't confuse our own images, our own culture, our own ideas uh, for God. We need to always bring our gaze back to to God, not as we imagine God, but as God reveals is, up to yeah. us through the scriptures in Christ
0: yeah. Camelo, you gave us a whole lot to unpack, um, and and we don't have the time, so you're gonna have to come back. We're gonna have to have a, another conversation. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but pleasure. yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I think I'm. I, you both know me and know that I I have a soapbox. Um, but there is there is I mean you you in the middle of your. Um, you're sharing. You talked about the isms that get in the way, right? The isms that speak to the control that we want to have and the superiority that we want to have above anyone, um, mm. and how how we just want control, right? And I think this is a human and cultural reality, especially in our setting. There's this desire for control because if you're not in control, then oh my God, we're gonna have to employ faith, <laughs> right? We we can't we can't um just rely on our skills and our resources and our abilities we actually we're actually going to have to trust god <laughs> right um if we're not in control and that for many can be terrifying right um especially in the culture that we live in that we have to just trust that god will be god that tr- that that god's word is god's word for us all that god is provider that god is with us um and for many, I think that that's really, really difficult because culture would teach us that the more control you have, the more power you have, and therefore the the stronger you are, right? Um, and the more more um, ability and agency you have in the world and in the culture. And yet the gospel calls us to be countercultural, <laughs> right? To be humble, as you said, right? To be humble and to die to the isms and the things that get in the way of who God calls us to be in this particular season, in this this particular world that we have been born into. Um, And so, um, Deacon Julie, I really want us to talk a bit, and we've done this in every episode, one of the things that I'm really passionate about is that these conversations not just be limited to the adults in the room, but that these can can be conversations Mm -hmm. that can come to the dinner table. What does it mean for us to cultivate and be complicit in in the work that God is calling us to do, um, that the spirit is inviting us into, to cultivate bold and boundless uh, boundless um, love, right? But to cultivate, to actually yeah. engage in that work with God, um, with the family, with, you know, with our children, with our youth, with our young adults. Um, and so I wanna hear a bit about that, about your thoughts around cultivating and having the conversation around the table and including everyone into this conversation.
1: Yeah. Um, So I I really love a metaphor and uh, all of the ways that you can explore it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So uh, continuing on with the planting, um, and again, in an area that I'm not as familiar with, um, so I was doing a little reading um, and learning about like the relationship between the plants and the soil, um, because a lot of times our image is that, well, the soil provides the place where the plants grow. And so the soil is the one like, you know, doing the, doing the work for the sake of this plant. Um, But uh, plants actually do a a lot of work for the soil as well. Um, If a ground, if if an area of the ground goes unplanted, if nothing is planted in that soil, it's uh, incredibly exposed to the elements. And so wind and rain um, and all those things can erode it or make it really hard for anything else to be planted there. Um, So by planting something, um, we make, the soil ready to plant more. Um, And so I think that that's really uh, relevant to a ministry among youth and families. And then uh, the, the the ministry being done at home um, with children and youth and people of all ages in the home. Um, If we only have a place where we, uh, where the idea is just uh, to leave the soil exposed and whatever pops up there pops up, um nothing is gonna be able to grow there. And so like cultivating isn't about like preserving what we've always had. It's about creating this space where new life can grow and flourish. And so among young people, like they need these places that don't just offer like what we've always offered, uh, but a place that says, Okay, so what does what do you need as as the the one who is growing right now? Um Uh, talking with young people about what they want and what they need rather than assuming Mm -hmm. what we think they want Mm -hmm. or what they need Um, uh, from things as big as what Sunday worship looks like uh, to as small as what do you want to have for dinner, which is not actually always a small conversation, (laughs) Um, but helping, helping young people especially know that the things that they want and need are important, lets them. Uh, open their minds for this idea of wondering. Um, I really liked when Pastor Carmelo, when you were talking about um, like sitting with something for a little while and yeah. uh, with the questions and the contradictions, that's something that young people are really, really good at. Sometimes they have questions that they want the answers to, but a lot of times they just want someone to acknowledge the question and yes. think about it with them. Yeah. Um, and I think, and so I think that that's really, again, continuing metaphor, fertile ground working with young people is saying you know what are the things that we have here that are not conducive to to cultivating this, this space that we want young people to have um and so it does mean letting some things die um but knowing that through that death um that becomes the fertilizer for the next thing yes. to grow yes. um and it's it's faithful and it's painful um and if i know anything it's uh things that are painful. <laughs> um,
0: we lost you, Julie. Hello? Hey, can you hear me? You, you. The last thing we heard was that th- if there's anything I know, the things that are painful. <laughs> huh.
1: So if there's anything that I know, it's things that are painful. Um, but that pain um, exists alongside a God who is is with us in it and he says, I won't leave you alone in it. I'm going to, um, bring people and places and, uh, the, the feeling of the spirit alongside you to know that you're not, uh, this loss isn't, uh, something that just gets forgotten and put aside, but that it's, it's being put aside for the sake of something, something bigger, something greater and something new. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I,
0: Thank you. I I think, (laughs) I mean, these conversations are way too short. We could have a series just on this. (laughs) Um, But I do think that there is power in providing space and permission to wonder, to question, to not have the answer, to vent. And this is not, I think, just for young people. I think all of us, right, need the space to ask the question, even if there is no answer right now, right? Even if it's not happening the way we would hope. Or we can't hear. We, we sometimes we don't even have the capacity to hear the answer, right? And yet God provides a space to hold us um, in that grief, in that frustration, in that moment, right? And our 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 young people will teach us that they they demand, <laughs> they demand the space to be heard, right? And yeah. we're being invited Can to I ask something? yes, please, please.
2: I no, I'm just thinking that I grew up in a tradition. Uh, the Lutheran Church in Puerto Rico uh, in the in the 80s and 90s, uh, where like when I was 15, for example, uh, pastors would go on vacation, and then I, I was one of the preachers that would go to the congregation,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: I was always amazed by how the congregation would receive me as a pastor, right, and 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 with respect, and and I was the pre. Of course, before going on vacation, the pastor would sit with me and help me understand how to do proper biblical interpretation. I would look at the manuscript of my sermon, all those things, but I did not feel, I mean, I thought that I was doing ministry as as, as a youth and was also trained, and I think that sometimes we we do not take uh, youth seriously. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, uh, as a parent of middle schoolers, I remember the things that they were learning in school, in history class, for example, compared to what they were learning in confirmation class. I felt oh, they're struggling with such deep and, 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 and serious issues uh, yes. in their history class. And yes, when we come to confirmation, sometimes it's too many gains, it's too many, which are important, yeah. but we, we sometimes we don't take them seriously intellectually, yeah. and we don't take their questions seriously. And so I think that that is a challenge uh, for us uh, to not just see them as we want to bring them to church, we want to have them in church, but actually what is God's Spirit wanting to do through them uh, in the church, and how can we provide uh, the tools that they need uh, to do the work that God wants to do through them? Um, and and also, how do we do we open that space, knowing that sometimes, just like like we mess up, sometimes they will mess up, mm-hmm. and that's okay. We learn from that. But we, I think that we need to 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 take them more seriously than we actually do.
0: Yeah. No. I not all of us, many of us. Yes. No. I agree. I mean, I I know that I would not be. I have no doubt that I would not be here today if I wasn't taken seriously as a youth um, growing up um, because I, too, had the very deep conversation... or questions, just wonderment, right? And um, I was never seen, at least in the spaces in which I grew, as less than. I was never seen as little. I was always seen as, oh, she has something to contribute, right? Um, and so there was always this understanding that my questions and my presence mattered in the space right and that gave me the confidence to say oh yeah i am i am called to this in, i am called to the church i am called to preach and teach when the invitation came right as a young adult and so i think you're absolutely right i think for us to be intentional uh, around our discipleship and intentional around realizing that we are called in this moment that the we includes the entire family, right? Includes all of us. We are called in this moment. And Amen.
2: And, and I know we're almost out of time, but yeah. I want to add one quick thing. Yes. But also the old, also the old. Yes, I learned I so just, much. Yes. Uh, it's a youth from the elderly. That's right. They are the ones that taught me to get on my knees and pray and yep. to trust God they, by seeing how they live. They're the ones that as a pastor, I would see changing light bulbs and clearing the brush in the in the yard. I mean, there's so much yes. uh, that, that, that we can learn also from the old. And I, I am afraid sometimes that in our way of speaking as a church, we, we might give the impression that we're taking them for granted. And I mean, they're the backbone of the church. And so the youth and the old and everything in between.
0: Yeah, I am. Yes. When I say family, when I say the entire family, I mean grandma and grandpa too, right? Um, and and yeah. auntie. I, I had an aunt that never got married and Forget it. You know, she was one of the key leaders in my in my family. Um, And so absolutely. uh, I think that whenever we neglect any person within our family or any aspect of who we are in our identity, I think we do a disservice um, and we miss opportunities. We miss opportunities for wisdom for possibility for just growing in our worldview and our understanding even of God right which will always be limited in our human reality and yet there's this really really beautiful thing that has happened throughout the generations throughout the generations right um in the people that are surrounding us and when we neglect any of them we neglect learning about who God who God is was and will be um and so I, I do really care for us to consider these conversations, although they may seem um, high-level theological talk. I don't think that any of this conversation will go over um, the heads of my girls or your your kids, um, Carmelo, right? I think that they would be like, yeah, okay, well, I have questions, (laughs) right? Um, But it wouldn't go over their head. They're very much present and wanting to have conversations that press them and challenge them and help them grow. And so I do believe, and that's part of the reason why we've we've named our podcast The World is About to Turn. Um, I do believe that the world is turning. I believe that the world is about to turn. I believe that there is movement and we get to be a part of that movement and we get to be a part of the direction in which that movement goes um, because God has ordained it as so and because God has called us to be a part to be complicit in that turn um, for the sake of liberation and transformation. And so it is with the entire family, it is as church together, that we are called to cultivate. And that means um, for us to be... um, a church of death and resurrection, <laughs> right? A church that is willing to engage the prophetic, willing to engage those that speak justice, and willing to say, yeah, this things, This stings a bit. I'm not really comfortable, and yet I know. I know because the Spirit is within me that this is necessary. This is necessary. Um, this move, this change, this turn is necessary for the sake of healing and wholeness and liberation, transformation, for the sake of... Um, Breathing and, and having a deep breath to take um, each each and every day that all may breathe well and um, survive each day. And so I want to thank you both. This has been a really rich conversation, and I wish it was a, a to-be-continued, and we may need to make it a to-be-continued um, because <laughs> this conversation is I think it's part of the conversation that's happening in many different spaces, in many different ways as we were talking about context. But I think it's happening, um, and I think it's happening because the Spirit is moving in that direction. And thanks be to God for that. Thanks be to God that we're Mm -hmm. having hard and challenging conversations that may lead us um, to become who we are, which is a church of death and resurrection. Um, And so thank you both. Thank you, Deacon Julie. Thank you, Pastor Carmelo. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your faithfulness and the ways that you've engaged the gospel in ways that are vulnerable and powerful and life-altering and a teacher for us all. Thank you. And thank you all who are listening. I hope you come back and share with us and be with us next week and um that you tell us what you're thinking, what your questions are. We may not have answers, but we'll definitely engage you in your questions <laughs> and we're looking forward to conversation and building relationships. And so thank you for being with us today and we hope you'll join us again. Thank you. Blessings thank everyone you. take a good care. For the
1: times, the